and welcome to season two of the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kelby Bachman, and the song you just heard is Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, and it is also the walkout song for the next guest on the show, Brock Hardy. So Brock is heading into his sophomore season at the University of Nebraska after a successful freshman year that ended in a sixth-place finish at NCAAs. Before he gets his college season underway, Brock will be traveling to Albania to compete in the U23 World Championships at 65 kilos. Competition gets underway October 23rd, and Brock's first match is coming at 3.30 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, the 24th. Best of luck to Brock and all of Team USA as they look to bring home some hardware. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Brock Hardy. So when did you decide to shave your head? <sighs> okay, that's that's a really good question. So I've been balding since I was like 13. Um, like I would go to Fargo and like people would make fun of my hairlines. Like I made fun of my hairline all growing up. Mm-hmm. I've always had this really, really high hairline. My dad's bald. My brother shaved his head when he was 21. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was coming. I was on my mission, I remember. When you're on your mission, you walk two by two, right? You're always with another person. Mm -hmm. And we were getting our haircuts. And uh, normally I just did like a fade. And then I was just like, you know, leave the top. (laughs) Like, it (laughs) don't cut it. It might not grow back. But then I remember my companion had fallen asleep. And so I couldn't really, you know, like ask him, like, bro, what do you think? So I just said, dude, just buzz it so then he buzzed it mm-hmm. so then I rocked the buzz look for like a year and then after my first year here at school I was just like I'm so sick of buzzing it mm-hmm. so then I took a razor to it and it was like <laughs> that was scary and then I did it again like two weeks later and I'm like no this is kind of nice and then ever since then that's the only way to go yeah buzzed isn't good enough I, I like it bicked all the way mm-hmm. it feels so good yeah did um did you inspire Peyton Rob to I Peyton did shave his head a lot like he he, he buzzed his mm-hmm. I think that I wouldn't say inspire I feel like he would take that personally <laughs> <laughs> but I I think that me being bald helped him and then I think that he it, it helps mm-hmm. and then confirmation from his girlfriend I got confirmation by my girlfriend at the time now mm-hmm. wife that it was okay if I did it yeah I think that's a big part too I don't think my wife would like it if I <laughs> <laughs> shaved my head you know all the way especially like just yeah mm-hmm. it's it's definitely a change and they're like your head looks different your face changes it's like my f- <laughs> I have a different looking face now because I no longer have like any hair around the head. So I don't know. Really? I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. How's that wearing a headgear then? Sticks. Really? really like, so my head turns into Velcro after like a day. So I shaved mine yesterday and mm-hmm. now it's already Velcro. And so mm-hmm. like when I throw on headgear, if it's not like a little sweaty, I can't like move it. It's like stuck on my head. It's like mm-hmm. Velcro. I could take, try to take a shirt off. It gets stuck. <laughs> and so I, it's, it's your head is not as like smooth as you think it is. Even if you shape it, mm-hmm. it gets kind of sticky. That makes sense. Like Velcro. Who on the team would you like to see shave their head? Ridge. He's so pretty <laughs> that I think that if he shaved his head, it would just bring him down to my level a little bit. <laughs> and I think it would feel really good to see him with, with a shaved head. Mm-hmm. But he's got hair growing out his freaking, he's, mm-hmm. his hair ain't going anywhere, sadly. Or Silas, actually. That's what I was thinking about. 
Like if all he had was just the mustache? <laughs> he that'd be kind of creepy looking. He <laughs> his beard, his mustache, his hair just is it's flawless. It makes no sense. I hate that, don't you? I do. <laughs> you you wish you could grow some hair and but you know the bald the bald doesn't look too bad. No, honestly. I, mean, I like it. Yeah. God only made a few perfect heads. You know, <laughs> the rest you had to cover with hair. Like, you know, Silas and Ridge. I'm yeah. sorry. You don't got a perfect head. You know who else has nice hair? Mark Manning. Mark Manning has really good hair. And it just oh, went yeah. white in, within the past year. But it he has amazing hair. Actually, so does Snyder. Um, Tervell. Nope, he's on me. <laughs> he's like me. Kokesh had good hair. Yeah. And now James Green's here. And James Green's got great hair. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yeah, it's kind of sad when you're 22 and all your coaches have better hair than you. <laughs> better plus 40. Yeah. <laughs> um, a little bit of wrestling talk, I suppose, since that's why we're here. Um, how's training for Worlds? It's going good. So Worlds for, for U23s is late. It's mm-hmm. like end of October. Yeah. So we had... What the, I made the team in like the first week in June. Yeah. I kept training through June. I had an Olympic training. Like we went to the Olympic training center first week of July. And then I took about four weeks off where I was still wrestling, but I was not training. Like I was not like trying to get back into it. So right now I'm kind of starting to amp it back up, starting to lean my body back down. And so it's going good. Yeah. Like you mentioned, that's worlds is late. You know, like, are you going to be back for the first duel? That's like... What well, world's what 25th through 29th or something like that and the first duel is the fourth yeah so i get back and it's like four days later is the north dakota state duel so i i probably will wrestle um peyton when peyton went to worlds two years ago he mm-hmm. wrestled right after i think it all just kind of depends on one your opponent right mm-hmm. you know they don't want to throw you out against one of the you know if it's not a good situation for you and then also how I'm feeling, but top and bottom doesn't really seem to usually be a problem for me. I really like mm-hmm. that form of wrestling. I don't think that I'll like be too rusty in those areas. Yeah. I f- people forget Peyton made a world team. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, there's no way to say, but I feel like he would have made one this year too. He was, Peyton's freaking good. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, not asking you to make a decision, you know, of course, and whether or not you're going to be back or not. But how are you balancing preparing for the season while also preparing for Worlds? Obviously, there are two different styles and it's just just different. It's a lot to balance. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess the way I've been thinking about it is that for the most part, it's really much the same. Right. I feel like training freestyle going into the folk style season is going to be actually beneficial in some ways because... I'm going to have some mat sense that I didn't have last year in terms of, you know, I'm going to be smarter out of bounds. I'm going to be smarter not crossing my back, getting into scrambles that could get me into trouble and stuff. And then, you know, in general, you know, wrestling is wrestling. You know, the styles are a little bit different, but at the end of the day, the hardest part of wrestling isn't the style. It isn't the, you know, how you score your points. It's everything else that's going on, the mental aspect, the hand fighting, all that. And so I feel like as long as I'm in tune to wrestling, it won't matter what style. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see, like, you know, guys don't ever wrestle Greco, but then, you know, kids will wrestle Greco at Fargo that are freestylers and they'll do pretty well. Maybe they're not the best, but mm-hmm. they're still in tune to wrestle. Yeah, good point. Um, and how was it to even make the world team? 
I mean, was was that a goal, obviously? I mean, you go there probably to wrestle, to make the world team, obviously, but when it actually happened, I mean, were you sort of shocked? Or yeah. was it just business as usual? So it's kind of, yes, to all three of those things you just said. So I had a goal always to make a world team. That was the first time I ever even tried. Um, in high school, it just really? never worked out. Never went to U17s or U15s just because it was always around the same time of last week of school. And I... I cared about school, and so I, I never really skipped out on my schooling for that. Went on a mission. These past two years didn't line up because I got married one of the years. Um, and then this year, it was like, you know, I had to take about four or five weeks off after NCAs because of an injury. And so when I got back into it, I was just like, man, do I want to make the weight? Do I really want to do this? And it was like two weeks leading up to it, and I was like, am I sure I want to do this? I remember, like, my wife kind of wanted to go home, but then she was like, no, let's, you should do it. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to win it, right? <laughs> so then the goal came back, but then going through the tournament, you know, not that I didn't expect to win, but I just didn't think about winning. I was thinking about the next match, and so mm -hmm. next thing you know, it was like, oh, I'm in the semis. Mm -hmm. And then I beat the guy in the semis, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm like <laughs> 12 minutes away from being on the world team, and it's a guy who I've wrestled a lot of times, so, like, this is... I'm there. And so it was just kind of like once I was there, it was like, oh, I'll just do what I do. Mm -hmm. So, and then I made it. And then I had a nice Mountain Dew after. And I was like, <laughs> it doesn't even feel real that yeah. I just did that. But yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. What was that like to take four weeks off, you know, with the rib injury? I mean, it looked pretty painful, to be honest. Yeah. It I was, was kind of cringing for you in that fifth and sixth place match, yeah. even in that constellation semis. Yeah. It, it, it was a weird situation just because, like, I it I didn't feel it pop again, so it popped against real, and then it just got worse and worse and worse as time went on, and it didn't pop again. But it was just like every time I would try to do a move, it would hurt worse, and then it was like it wouldn't go back to normal. Mm -hmm. Normally, like you know, you hurt something, but then like oh, if I just avoid that for a second, it'll go back to like not hurting, but it just didn't. Mm -hmm. And so like the more I wrestled in that tournament, the more it hurt. And so then four weeks off was nice, but. It was such a weird time of recovery because, you know, I've hurt my knee before. I've hurt my ankles. And for them, it's like, you know, here's your rehab, you know, move your knee, move your foot. For a rib, it was just like toughen up and do nothing. Like you're going to, it's going to hurt mm -hmm. and you can do nothing to make it better. You just, it'll just kind of get better on its own. And it, where it was not a broken rib, but torn cartilage, Ooh. they're like it will never get better. Like you're going to have lasting rib injuries for a while now. Really? Yeah. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, Mikey dealt with rib injuries and he was yeah. a stud about it. And so I just, you know, it was good seeing him this year do that because I'm thinking I'm going to be doing the same thing for the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have one of the best in the biz and Tyler Weida helping you out. Yes, we do. Yeah. And something that Weida does really great that no one talks about on top of being a great trainer in the sense of helping you diagnose the problem, fix the problem is he's also really good about just being like, here's the reality of the situation. You're just going to have to get tougher. <laughs> and I think that's just as important as being like, you know, here's what's wrong. We're going to do this to fix and all that. But sometimes you can't, mm -hmm. right. Specifically at NCAs, you know, he had a talk with me and he was just like, you know, I know you're hurting really bad, but there's a lot of tournament left and you got to, you got to keep going. Well, did you ever decide before that? Did you even think about like, I should just 
injury default out? Was that even uh, in play at the time? I can't lie and say it wasn't on my mind. So I, I, I remember after I heard it in the match, I was like, I think I just broke it. And then they were like, no, it's not broken. But then after the match, I was kind of hurting. And then, you know, they kind of had a talk. And at the time, we had me, Peyton, Liam all in the Concy semis. Mm-hmm. And you had Mikey on the front side. And so we had those three guys, and we were still in the top five, top six. So we were in striking distance that if had we all won our matches, we could get a trophy. And so that's what we cared about. Mm-hmm. And so that was the conversation. You know, at first I didn't want to wrestle, but then, you know, after this conversation, they were like, because Peyton wasn't feeling good, obviously. Right, yeah. Liam is, you know, a vet. You know, he's had a lot of time under his belt. He could get injured any second now, and he was dealing with injuries. And so all of us kind of had this same, like, we kind of just got to – we just got to score points for the team right now. All of us failed. <laughs> but, you know, we that was the reason why none of us medical forfeited at all is because we knew that, you know, we could rest tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now let's back it up a ways, a ways. Mm-hmm. When did you even start wrestling? So I started wrestling when I was three or four years old. Really? So all my cousins wrestled. All my, my brother and my uncles, all of them are wrestlers. We're from a really big wrestling family up in Utah. Mm-hmm. So I've been wrestling since I was little, little, little. Wow. That's impressive. Like three or four is, is young. but Yeah. So, I mean, it was just like the kids program. Right, is, right. is it considered wrestling at that point or is it just kind of like <laughs> a form of a playground? Yeah. But, but yeah. And so ever since then, like did uh, one of your family members run the kids club and was it like a family thing? So – in a way, so my no one in my family ran the kids club. The kids club was ran by the high school coach. Oh, really? Coach Ripplinger. Mm-hmm. He is, he's you know, he's first ballot Utah Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's he's incredible. But he uh, he ran the program, and so I was connected that way. But like I said, so my dad was not the coach, but he was connected. And like mm-hmm. my uncles weren't the coaches, but they were connected. And my cousins, they had graduated were connected to the whole entire program. And so it was just kind of like a familial thing, but not necessarily, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then when did you start taking it pretty, pretty seriously? I remember I was eight years old and it was mid-match. I was actually wrestling a kid, Braxton Amos. Huh. He's, he's a Heard really good wrestler from Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was wrestling him at uh, Reno, Reno Worlds. I was eight years old and mid-match all of a sudden I was like, I know how to win at this. Like, I know how to do this now. And like, it just like kind of finally connected. And um, ever since then, I've taken it for the most part seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I was still a kid and still had fun. But like starting around eight or nine is when I really started to like really succeed in the sport and try in the sport. Mm -hmm. And did your brother have success too? Mm-hmm. So my brother was a two-time state champ in Utah. Um, he was a Fargo All-American, and then he went to UVU, University of Utah, not University of Utah, Utah Valley University. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrestled there for two years, played with injuries, so then he ended up, you know, hanging it up. But he was he was good. He was really good. Mm-hmm. Was he right around your weight too? Like, did you guys? He was a little bit bigger. <laughs> so he's eight years older. So he's, oh, yeah. I, I never. Only time I wrestle with him now is, you know, when we play around, but he's, <laughs> he's still, he's bigger than me. He, he wrestled 57 in college, but he was a really big 157. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, a little, probably bigger than Peyton. And so he was, he was Peyton's big. big and Peyton's a big 57. Yeah. He was big and I'm a 41 
and I'm pretty average size for 41. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's bigger than me. Yeah. What about your sisters? Were they involved in the sport at all? They didn't wrestle, but they, they love the sport. Yeah. So my sister Haley, she married a state runner up in Utah. Um, she didn't, she didn't, not that she doesn't care about wrestling, but she wasn't as connected with it. My sister Lexi, on the other hand, she is like wrestling fanatic. <laughs> um, she was at NCAs this year. My sister Haley was at big tens too, but like Lexi really, really cares about the sport and she cares about what's going on in the sport. Um, she married a wrestler from UVU. Um, she also has like gotten on numerous Twitter fights with like <laughs> Willie Saylor and flow wrestling. And so she is like, I love it. She's the, she's the hardcore fan. She, mm-hmm. I mean, she's texting me right now going, have you heard more about Sasso? You know, what's going on there? <laughs> she just, she wants to be involved with the wrestling world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you bring up Sammy Sasso. Hopefully he's doing good. You know, prayers to him. Yeah, and, of course. You know, can't imagine what that was like. Um, sounds like, He's going to be okay. Yeah, I think that I so, think according to Vell's, obviously, he's from, you know, was at Ohio State, yeah. so he's got good connections and, you know, sounds like Sammy's pulling through in a terrible situation, but he's he's doing good from what I've heard. Good, good, yeah. Um, and what about your wife? You know, Courtney, has she <clears throat> ever been involved in wrestling or are you the first person to expose her to the sport? So she, she, she liked, you know, high school wrestling. Mm-hmm. Her cousins, she had cousins that wrestled. Um but she wasn't necessarily too in connected with the sport. And that was actually something that like when we started dating, I really liked because I didn't, I didn't want someone that liked me because I was a wrestler <laughs> that I was good at wrestling. And so she was, you know, she didn't care who that I was a good wrestler. And so that was something that was really important. So she doesn't really care too much about wrestling. She didn't. Mm-hmm. Now she's a super fan. And so she's, she's done really great. It's been hard to learn the rules and stuff, you know, trying to watch freestyle matches after learning folk style was very confusing for her, but she's getting it down. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how'd you meet her? So we're from the same small town. Okay. Same small town, actually same small neighborhood. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But she had a boyfriend and so we never dated until after my mission. And then really, I've known her family for forever. Our families have known each other. Our families have gone on like family vacations together. And mm-hmm. so it just like, once her and her broker, boyfriend broke up, it just made sense. You just swooped right on in? I swooped on in. <laughs> I definitely did. And that was after, so does she go to school here too in Nebraska? So she does online school. Um, so she does online school for Southern Utah University. And then she just like has like a part-time job here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's she's a trooper for that. Yeah. Oh, um, how cool has it been to have her also kind of incorporated into the team and being around the guys and accepted by the guys? Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, she's having her around is the best. And then, you know, seeing how she's, you know, developed relationships with guys on the team as well as like, you know, the specifically more like the, her, their girlfriends or yeah. their wives, cause mm-hmm. there's a lot of married guys on the team. Yeah. Um, it's been great. You know, I think that it was really hard to move out here. She didn't have, yeah. You know, I had a reason to be here and I had a support system built in with coaches and with teammates. She didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she came out here and I was all she had. And so she's been able to develop relationships and that's been really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm excited that she's able to go to Finland. You know, yes. um, when you posted about the shirts, I was like, yeah, of course I want one. And and almost not knowing that it would explode into what it did. So she was able to go like when I when I saw that message, I was like, see, this is why. This is why you you buy shirts and support 
the wrestlers is so things like this can can happen you yeah. know so how many shirts have you sold 240 oh. something yeah and i saw people asking we were away like we the the company that made the shirts is there in our hometown and so like i just so we we hit our goals. So we didn't want to we didn't want to sell anymore. And then on top of that, it was just it's gonna be really hard from here on out to make those shirts, just because we'd have to get them shipped out here. Yeah. And then so, but yeah, we've I could we could probably sell you know a, a little bit more, but we kind of just pulled the plug just because we're like we're it's it's a little too difficult now to do it at this yeah. point, and it'd be pretty expensive at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, it was it's it's been really really cool all the support we've had and. I've had like a lot of people that I'm like, I did not expect you to buy a shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's been cool. Where did the wrestling is fun come from? So that's like kind of like my motto, I guess, you know, other guys say it on, you know, other people have said it, but like that was kind of like my live or die mo motto this whole entire season. Um, I specifically remember it. I, I said it a lot at Vegas. I said it a lot like earlier in the season, but I remember like me and Turbell had this talk about how wrestling is fun. Wrestling is fun. Right before the South Dakota state match, I didn't feel good. I was, you know, I was kind of sick. And then on top of that, I was really nervous. You know, South Dakota state, that, that little arena, they had jam packed. I was really impressed and I was wrestling a stud. Um, and so I was nervous and I remember Turbell just kind of looked at me. He was like, Hey, and then I kind of like, we kind of like, like clicked and we're like, yeah, wrestling's fun. Wrestling is fun. So that's kind of like this when I'm nervous or when I'm like getting, you know, ready for a match, that's, that's just going through my head. You know, wrestling is fun. Mm -hmm. Has it ever been not fun? I can't lie and say it hasn't, you know, there's definitely times that I put stress on myself that makes wrestling not fun or the weight cut is never fun. And then, you know, there's, there's, I, I personally like to take a lot of breaks within my wrestling in terms of, you know, throughout the year, I don't stack it up just because, I can get burnt out. And so I try to keep it fun. And so, yeah, there's been times that it hasn't been fun, but wrestling as a whole is fun. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. Wrestling as a whole is fun. Sometimes wrestling isn't fun at times or certain days or whatever, but as a whole, it's always pretty, you know, it's pretty yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, when you went into high school, you know, what kind of, are you a goal setter? Were you somebody who went into high school going, yeah, four, four times state champ. That's, that's what I want. Yes. So I remember the goal meetings that we, that, we, that we would have and I always wrote down four times state champ, but like, to me, I feel like I can't see that far into the future. It's kind of like this U23 mm -hmm. world team that was just kind of like, I know that's what I want, but at the same time, you know, I, I feel like it's almost more anxiety inducing to revolve my life around a goal. And so mm -hmm. instead, I feel like I'm constantly progressing towards little goals all yeah. the time. And, you know, as stuff gets closer, I start going, you know, that's, I can do that. You know, I, as I get closer to it, I'm going, you know, this is, this is a real possibility. But, you know, I have goals that I don't think about day to day. You know, I, I have a goal to make the Olympic team. I have a goal to be an Olympic champion and be an NCAA champion. But like, if I were to think about that every day, that would make me stressed out. And mm -hmm. so instead I sit and think about, you know, I'm going to just wrestle five times a week this week, you know, and then it's like, you know, I'm just going to win the next match. Mm -hmm. And that was the goal that I had through high school is just to win the next match. Um, I wanted to be a four-time state champ, but, you know, I knew that 
sometimes the things you want don't happen because of bad luck and because of injuries and stuff like that. And so I never let it be the thing that dictated what I wanted to do was my goal of being a four-time state champ, but rather I focused on the small goal of just winning the next match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did, did it ever dawn on you that it was a possibility that like, all right, I'm in position to even do this. Yeah. So after the first one, so in before the first one, I was wrestling a kid in the finals who I'd wrestled twice that year and beat. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I did it. And then after that, you know, it, that was probably the only time that I did have a goal that like my life revolved around. And I remember it like, not necessarily that it didn't feel good, but it was just almost like, oh, well, what's next? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I kind of changed it. And then, yes, I get into these situations where I'm like, you know, I had a goal my whole life to be an NCAA All-American. And then suddenly I'm in the quarterfinals of NCAAs and I'm like, hey, I might be an All-American. Like, you know, I've, I've <laughs> thought about it, but like, you know, I, I just feel like if, you, if you're thinking so far ahead all the time, you can't be in the now. And you have to be in the now to be successful in most things in life, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when you think about it, hey, I'm in the quarterfinals, you're not looking to... Well, I'm wrestling somebody who I beat before. I'm going to be, you know, I'm in the semifinals. You, yeah, you have to live in the now in those moments because you can't overlook your opponent, yeah. or whoever you're wrestling or competing against, because that's when you get, you know, knocked off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did so you committed to that two year uh, mission? Did that impact your recruiting at all, do you think? No, it did for sure. I um, won't name the schools, but there were a couple of schools that called me and were like, hey, we're really interested in you. You know, you're really good. You know, what are your plans? What are you doing? Whatever. And I would always let them know pretty early because I understand too. Mm -hmm. And I would just be like, you know, hey, I'm going on a two-year mission. I, at that time, I didn't know when. I didn't know if I was going to go a year, two years, you know, not necessarily like distance, but like a year at college, two-year mission or two-year mission or Russell all five, two-year mission. But there was a lot of schools that were like, yeah, yeah, we'll get back to you. And then it was like, never heard from them again. And I understand it because, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of the reason why I have such a big respect for the coaches here at Nebraska is because they took a big gamble. There's been a lot of wrestlers that go on missions, don't come back and don't do anything. And, you know, how do you plan around that? You know, there's got to be, especially they didn't know what COVID was going to happen. But because of that, you know, from the time that I was recruited in 2017, it was four, five. I mean, f f five years later that I competed for them. That's, that's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I understood it. And so like, I knew that choosing to go on a mission was going to hurt me being recruited. But I also knew that because of that, I was going to get the right school. Mm -hmm. We'll get, I want to get into that a little bit because that is, that is something crazy about your career. Um, kind of the time from when you went to the mission on your mission until you first stepped on the mat for the Huskers. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy to look back on it. And it's fascinating. But, um, did you know Brandon Van Tassel before? Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought I remember saying, cause I've had him on, he's one of my first episodes and we talked about it and I thought he said he, he met you beforehand. And was it nice to kind of have that somebody else who was going to the same school to yes. talk? So this talk is, to? yeah, this is, you know, this is part of the reason why I signed. Well, not part of the reason I signed, part of the, like some of the answers when I signed, like, so when I committed to Nebraska, I was going to be the only Utah kid here. I was going to be the only, you know, LDS Mormon on the team. And so mm -hmm. 
Um, I committed. It felt like the right place to go. And I didn't know why, but I decided Nebraska. And then they start contacting us saying, hey, what other people in Utah do you think we could recruit? Do you think that are really good? And they were talking to me, but they were also talking to my dad. And we both kind of agreed, like, oh, you should look into Brandon Van Tassel. So then they start talking to Brandon and then, you know, worked out for Brandon. So then all of a sudden Brandon's coming here. <laughs> we both go on our missions. While we're on our missions, another Utah Landon Brown comes. And then now we have Scotty Robertson. He's technically a Nebraskan, but grew up in Utah. He grew up like literally at the rival school, which is another <laughs> tiny little town. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we just barely got Owen Pence. And so it was just kind of, there's been so many like, almost like answers because I said, you know, feels like the right place. I don't know why. It seems like time and time again, I just get things like, well, this was why. This person was why. Or like, you know, this moment was why you were supposed to come to Nebraska. And it's, you know, it's been, it's been incredible. Yeah. You kind of mentioned that you didn't know when you were going to go. Was that by design? Like, or, or like, did you have to commit to a timeline? Like, I guess, how does that all sort yeah. of work? So by the time I was getting close to my commitment, so by the time I'd done my five visits, mm-hmm. a couple of the schools had like a, not necessarily like a, all of them had built out a timeline. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like, um, Nebraska had built out a timeline and they wanted me to go right out, which is what I wanted to do. And it kind of worked out. That's part of the reason why I chose Nebraska mm-hmm. too. NC State wanted me to wrestle a year, two years, and then come back. Cornell didn't care. Illinois didn't really care. Neither did Fresno. But those three school or those two schools were kind of like the top two. And so that's part of the, my, my decision process. But like, you know, they had a timeline, which is really impressive. That was something really impressive to me is they were like, you know, we think you're going to be a 49 pounder, <laughs> which is funny to think about now. <laughs> we think you're going to be a 49 pounder. Colton McChrystal will graduate in um, 2019, Purrington 2020. He'll be back possibly wrestling that year after Purrington graduates. And then, you know, so they had this whole, they had it all planned out. That was like their whole entire thing. And so they had like a timeline of it. So when I signed, that only lasts for two years. So then I had to sign again while I was on my mission, which was really interesting. Really? Yeah. Had to have like take like a whole day to get doc- documents sent and stuff. It was complicated. Really? So you like what? Why did you have to sign again? I think your letter of intent only lasts so long oh. in like a vacuum. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like if I were to go to Nebraska, it's different at that point. But mm-hmm. where I like signed it and then dipped mm-hmm. they were like i think that it expires after so much time hmm. okay were uh how prepared were you to go on this on the trip on the you know mission so, so like how the, how it works is you essentially fill out like a bio i guess and you send it into the leaders of the church they pray about it they decide where to send you and during that time you're getting ready they call you, you usually have like 3 months you get ready mm-hmm. and then you go to like a 6 week training thing it's called a training center, missionary training center that they train you for. And so I was prepared, but not, you're never prepared for right. what you're going to do as a missionary. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's not the lavish lifestyle that some might think it was. People think here that I lived in Rio and thought that I was on the beaches every day when I, in reality, never once touched sand while I was in Rio. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that experience like? It was, it was incredible. Um, you know, I got to help so many people and 
get to know so many people is it was it was it was amazing so my my wife i went on a trip with her and um she has a coworker from utah and i asked him specifically because he is a part of the lds community i was like you know if you had a question you know i'm going to talk to this guy named brock hardy if you had a question for him or two what would you have so these are these are from him okay um so he wants to know what characteristics of your companion did you have to adapt to? Um, you know, he went on a mission as well. And mm-hmm. um, just with your, when it's just you and that other person, I mean, it's, you got to yeah. lean on each other and adapt. Yes. So, so you end up having different companions throughout your mission. So oh, I really, have, yeah, yeah. So it's like you, so they call it like, they call it transfers, but it's every six weeks you get like, possibly a reassignment so usually what happens is, is you're with the same guy for six to three six weeks to a three months and then you change either areas or they change areas and then you get a new companion and so it's like constantly revolving so i had nine companions i think oh wow but that being said that is a brilliant question because my first companion he doesn't speak english he won't hear this <laughs> I, I i i had the hardest time with him um he was really really lazy and then he was really arrogant about a lot of things. And so like, I just remember feeling really, really frustrated with him partially because I couldn't communicate how I felt to him at the time. I didn't speak Portuguese fluent enough. And I remember that we had like this, this talk, but I remember the thing I took from that companion is that like, you know, I had to learn how to like love that person and how to do that was through like serving them. And so, you know, I came to understand that he wasn't me and he wasn't going to be like me and he wasn't going to want to do the things I wanted to do or work the way I wanted to work. And so it turned into how can I, how can I accommodate him that will make me feel like I'm serving and that way it feels like he's serving. Second companion was great. No complaints. Third one had a lot of mental, mental health problems and I felt like I was constantly working through that with him. And then he was just very, like, very, very, like, you know, switching one side to the other. You know, he'd be one day, be happy, and the next day he wouldn't speak to me. And that was really, really hard. Fourth companion is, like, one of my best friends. Fifth, he was, we just had a very different mindset, but he was, he was good and bad. So just in general, I feel like the biggest thing I learned from each companion was, like, I feel like I got such a wide variety of people that I learned how to work with so many different types of people as well as, you know, how to get along and how to, you know, how to understand others, you know, even on this Nebraska team, there's so many different people on there, so many different personalities and stuff. And so you work with them and you learn how to disagree while still being like working together, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was just thinking about, you know, people that you were mentioning, your, your different companions. And it's like, you're going to somebody's home and you have a mission to spread the word. And you might have two different ideas about how you want to get that done. Yeah. And that's a problem in and in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so you had to do a companionship study every single day. This is, I mean, 
I don't want to toot the horn of the church, but they do really good in like helping these 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kids yeah. figure it out. And one of the things that they did is the companionship is really good because you plan for every single person you're going to teach that day. And then you kind of like have like a plan and sometimes you disagree and stuff, but for the most part it works together because of this study you do together. The other thing you have is, is once a week you're supposed to have like 30 minutes to just unload on each other <laughs> like it wasn't meant to be like a moment of like dude i just hate your guts but it was meant to be like 30 minutes of like hey you know i think that you could do this better mm -hmm. and so you like learn to take criticism and give criticism and it was really really healthy and i think that that's you know we have sit down moments like that as a team you know where i think it was after i just lost in the arizona state match and me and Snyder went and got like, he got a coffee and I got a hot chocolate and we were sitting there talking and he was just like, you know, you looked terrible <laughs> the other night. And I was like, I, I know. And then he was like, you know, what, why, what's going on? And so then it was really good to be able to take the criticism as well as, you know, explain to him, you know, because in, in, in the mission too, it was like, you know, you'd got this criticism and you got to kind of explain yourself. And so it was just... Those little things that I developed on the mission have helped me now as a wrestler, and they're going to help me for forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you also can't run away. You know, you're you're with this, you know, your companion for you said six weeks, sometimes three months. If there's an issue, like you can't just run away from. And, and you and you so literally sight and sound. You can never be out of sight and sound of the person. Oh, really? Yeah, like we have like like it's pretty strict. Like I mean, sometimes you know you, but like you walk side by side, you sleep in the same room. You do everything together. And so, yeah, you, if you having problems, your life's going to be miserable because you're with them nonstop mm -hmm. and you can't get away from them. Exactly. Like you said, you can't run away from the problem. And so you really learn to face it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you stay in shape? Did you think about wrestling at all? I guess I should ask. So I thought about wrestling a lot. Um, I definitely like, sometimes it would leave my mind, but like. I, I tried to stay in shape. It wasn't easy, especially each mission is different. Each person is different. So Brandon went on his mission. He came back more, more jacked than before. Mm -hmm. um, he was in Chicago, which he had a different working out situation. And he had like essentially a home gym that they could travel, that they could, they could take his, his kettlebells and travel with them. Right. Huh. They could put him in the back of a truck and drive him to his next area. Mm -hmm. In Rio, I traveled. It's like, let's say, oh, Brock, you're getting changed from, uh, what's the area I was in? Charging Botanico, you're going to Unomar. It's like, okay, I got to get on a metro. Oh, no, a train. Or Actually, I'm, I'm skipping steps here. Bus, train, metro, bus. <laughs> like three-hour long bus. Mm-hmm. And then another bus. And so, like, if I couldn't carry it in my hands, I yeah. could not take it. So I had a pull-up bar that I had shoved in there. <laughs> so I kept my pull-ups up, but everything else was pretty rough. I had bands later on in my mission, but it was just still, like, you know, I couldn't go run out on the street. Yeah, because you're sight and sound. I'm sight and sound. And then I'd have to make him run with me. <laughs> Most of the time, I didn't have someone who wanted to run with me. And then the one time I did, it was, like, this area we should not be running in. We did it one time and it was like people were giving us weird looks. It was another, you know, another freaking gringo. And so we were just like running. And I remember people were like, <laughs> and I was like, we shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I didn't stay in great shape. I tried, I tried to do push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups every single day, but you know, it was, this is, it was long two years. Yeah. 
and you were out there the whole the whole two years, correct? No. no. Okay. So Brandon got all two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't get a choice. Okay. So I had a year and ten months. Okay. COVID happened. Mm-hmm. When COVID happened, it was like all American missionaries out of Brazil as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. I like Sunday got told, hey, you might be going home in the next like two months. And then it was like the next day, pack your bags, you're leaving today. Just packed up my bags, went home. And then when I got home, got put in a quarantine and they were like, you've served over a year and six months, you're done. And so kind of just got it cut a little short. Mm-hmm. I consider it two years considering they, they consider it two years, but I, yeah. I'm just short of it. Two months short, you know, eight weeks. Like, yeah. What was that like to be, uh, I mean, told like, hey, let's go. We're shipping out now. It was wild. It was it was like one of the craziest like eight days of my life because it like everything just happened so fast. Mm-hmm. It was like we, you know, we just got told like, hey, you know, if you're coughing, just stay home for the day. And then the next day it was like, hey, don't shake anyone's hands. And then the next day it was like, don't meet old people. <laughs> then the next day it was like, church is canceled on this Sunday, which has never happened before. Like church is canceled this Sunday and you are not to leave your house. And then they're like, we're sending you money. So that way you guys can go buy food storage for possibly six months. And we're like, (laughs) and I've only got two months left. So I'm like, what? (laughs) Like I'm going out to stay here for six months. Yeah. So then we get all the stuff. The next day it's like, hey, they're going to be sending missionaries home. We don't know when, but they're going to be sending everyone that's not a Brazilian home. And so we're like, okay. The next day, all of a sudden it's like, hey you're going home today or we didn't go home that day. We went to Rio that day, but it was like, Hey, pack your bags. You're coming to Rio, staying in a hotel, flying out the next morning. And it was like, okay. But I was a leader at the time in my area. And so I had to get all of them out first. And that Mm -hmm. was, that was wild. And then just getting out of Brazil was nuts because it was like, our flight got canceled from Rio to Sao Paulo. So then we went from Rio to Campinas, got on a bus, drove to Sao Paulo. We get to Sao Paulo, every Brazilian, well, every American missionary in Brazil was in this airport. Like a thousand people. I was going to say how many thousand? Like a a thousand, maybe more. It was so many American missionaries just Mm -hmm. crammed in this airport. I'm like, well, we didn't have COVID before. (laughs) We got COVID now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then flew home on a, on, you know, on a, like a, a big plane was full of only missionaries. It was crazy. What'd you do with the food? You said you went out and bought, (coughs) they sent you money and you went out and bought food for, you know, six months ish. (coughs) Sorry, I'm choking. So at the time I had an Argentinian companion and I don't know what's in my throat. Like all of a sudden choking here. That's all right. Mm. Argentinian companion, he ended up serving two years and six months because he, Argentina locked their borders. So Mm -hmm. that's why they got the six months worth of rations is essentially like they ended up not needing him in general because Brazil was never really shut down. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. They were shut down for like two weeks. But... Yeah, so he got stuck there because Argentina wouldn't let him come home. So he was just Dang. stuck on the mission. Couldn't come home. And then when he did come home, it was like he had three weeks in a hotel. 
because they were so scared about COVID in, mm-hmm. in Argentina. And so terrible. So that's where the food is for. Oh, okay. Not for me, though. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I, thought, I thought they sent you guys out to just get six months worth of food and like keep it in your you know, hotel room or wherever you were at. And you could have six months worth of food to munch on. But well, yeah, that was the idea. But then, like I said, I think that they didn't know what the heck was going yeah. on at the time. And so they were like, we're going to keep you guys here. And then all of a sudden it was like all these South American countries were closing their borders. And they're like, we're not getting our Americans trapped in countries that they don't live in. And so then they just started pulling everyone out. Jeez. Wild. (laughs) Um, I just can't believe that that even happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that we're, you know, it's still around, but we're a couple, you know, a year or so or two years removed from like the peak. It's, yeah, I look back on it. It's just kind of crazy. What were we doing? I don't know. We were so scared. (laughs) Hindsight's 2020, but we were so scared. Yeah. Um, the other question that, uh, he had was what is a miracle or blessing that has helped your life that could also help people listening? So this is going to be unrelated to wrestling. Mm -hmm. So on my mission, I got to, you know, talk to a lot of people and something that I found out, I feel like the biggest lesson that I learned outside of helping people and outside of, you know, learning and growing and getting to know people, like there's a specific lesson that I learned. And that was that the most important decision that you make in your life is who you marry and who you essentially revolve your life around. Right. I saw so many people that had such great trajectory in terms of what their life was going to be. And, they just, you know, married someone that they shouldn't have or, you know, were dating someone that they shouldn't have that just completely changed their lives, right, mm-hmm. in in the wrong way. I also saw lots of people that kind of were not on the right trajectory in life and they married a gem and their life changed, right? Or outside of even just marriage, friends, mm-hmm. you know, having these different friends who you revolve, like who you put in your circle is so important to where you can go in life and what you're going to go to in life. And so, you know, I knew when I got home that I needed to involve myself with really good people that were going to help me, you know, become better and not have me doing stupid things and getting in trouble. And then I knew that I knew exactly who I needed to marry. I hadn't necessarily met her yet. I had met her, but I like <laughs> I, I didn't know who it was yet, but I knew exactly what I, who I wanted to marry. Mm-hmm. I wanted someone that was going to make me a better person. That was going to complete me as a person mm-hmm. and that, you know, would lift me to being a better person. And that's, that was Courtney. And so since marrying Courtney, I feel like I've become such a better person, such a happier person. And I feel like overall, she has changed my life for the better. And that was a principle that I learned on my mission is that that is probably the most important decision you can make in your life. Yeah, I will be, I, you know, I'll put myself out there. I was one of those people who wasn't on a very good trajectory, um, you know, making all the wrong decisions. And then I met my wife and I still made wrong decisions, but she almost corrected me and, and, you know, now I'm making the right decisions and I'm on the, on a right path because mostly, you know, because of who I've surrounded myself with her 
specifically, you know, yeah. and it's, it's kind of crazy to think about it, you know, um, even all the stuff that like I've done that should not have done, yeah. you know, but she still, you know, I guess you could say tolerated and, and made me realize that that's not who I want to be, you know, and has corrected me into making me now a better version of myself. So I completely agree with what you're saying that that's because you're around them all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, who else are you around more than your wife? I mean, hopefully no one, but yeah. And and you, you become who you, who you spend time with. Right. right and right. And on top of that, you know, you exactly like, you know, as you were saying, she's doing, you know, it doesn't mean that that person has to be perfect. Right. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, but they, the person, you know, they're going to elevate you to the next level with that. They have to have some form of expectation for you. And yeah. That's really key, and and like I said, I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be, you know, it's just you know, things like you know, divorce and things like any form of dispute in that sense, you know, and just in general, like those things are just so detrimental to your life, and people can still succeed and people can still make recoveries from them, mm-hmm. but that decision can really, really change where your life goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, has there ever been a time? I mean, we kind of touched on it. You had four years. Um, you battled a couple injuries when you got back. Like, was there a time where you kind of hit a crossroads, you know, where you went down one path and you're, you know, you're here, which is great that you chose this path. But was there ever a time where you were like, man, I I could teeter either way here? Yeah. Um before I started dating Courtney, so I don't know if this is public information, but I got home from my mission and I actually wrestled that year. I won the spot at 149 at the time. Chad Red was 141. Ridge was his backup. I was under competing and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's being off my mission, whether it was not the right mental space, I was not competing like I should. Ridge bumps up. Beats me in a wrestle off fair and square and takes a spot. I get sent home early, right? I go to Big Tens to help warm everyone up, but I get sent home early, essentially. You know, everyone else goes to NCAs. Not everyone else, but, you know, the guys who go to N- that made the NCAA tournament go to NCAs. Mm-hmm. I go home. And I remember that drive home being so solemn and just, like, having these thoughts of, like, is this what I want to do? And then at the time been home from my mission for about a year and I was dating life was not great at the time <laughs> um just it wasn't going well and then you know anytime I really was going on like a lot of dates just being Mormon was just at home in Utah and then even then I was just struggling to find anyone that was you know that I felt like I would ever date and so or ever marry and so it was just really really rough and so there was a lot of thought into you know Maybe people were right. Maybe I couldn't have served a mission and wrestled. Maybe, maybe that was the wrong decision, you know, or maybe I just, maybe, maybe you can't do both, essentially, is what was my thought was, um, right after I started dating Courtney. And so, you know, I, I didn't, I don't think put full thought into it, but there was definitely a point in time where that was crossing my mind of like, you know, this, maybe I'm not cut from that cloth. It seems silly to look back on it now after 
everything you've accomplished, but I, I appreciate you being open and honest and vulnerable because I'm sure somebody out there listening is going to think the same thing. And just to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel that you, you put your head down and keep grinding, you, you'll get there. Um, you know, but I'm sure it was a long four years. You went on your mission when you got back. You know, it was almost two years. Like you went five and three one year, then you went five and oh, and you you, you were hurt your yeah. red shirt year. So like, there's almost like a four, like you said, like a five year period of hardly any wrestling. Yeah, I think from the time that I last tournament was 2018 in March. From 2018 in March until this last season in October. So that would have been essentially four and a half years. I had wrestled a total of about 15 matches. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's why I had like the most rest matches this last season. Yeah. I had 40 matches this season, which is really, really high for college. Mm -hmm. And that was the coaches being very intelligent in the sense of being like, he hasn't been on the mat in terms of competition. Let's put him on the mat as many times as possible. Yeah. Did did you feel like did you feel like you had to get back into it a little bit early on in the year? Yes, yes. I mean, you you can visibly tell, right? I went and lost. I went one and one and two in my first three matches of the season, and it wasn't wrestling. I didn't lose either of those matches because of wrestling. I feel like one of them was a bad weight cut and just a lot of anxiety from it being the first duel, and then the second one being I. A lot. I, the competitive edge is something that you have to like win back, right? And so, I was beating the kid that I just barely beat at Worlds. Actually, I was or at, the, at the World Trials. I was winning, but I didn't have that competitive, you know, mindset of like, I'm gonna win this match no matter what it takes. And I gave up essentially. I turned my motor off, and then he made a comeback, and then I was struggling to even get moving. And so then it was just that was that was it. And so. You know, it's it's it is it is hard to come back, and there's there's a competitive edge that you that you lose when you don't compete. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how did you get that back, or when did you start to realize that you were you were getting that back, or that you even lost it in the first place? Because I'm sure, you know, it's not something people think about. Like, I I knew that I had lost it. I I noticed that my first year at uh my first year home too when I went five and three. <laughs> I felt it then. Um, I felt like. I mean, I don't know how to describe how I got it back. I think I just, there there was a lot of different things that were adding into it, but I felt like it was, it was almost like I decided that I had to, I, I had to will, I, I had to focus for seven minutes and have a will to win every, like every single match. And I had to be dedicated to be able to win every single match. Because you can go out and compete in every single match, but winning every single match takes a different level of dedication in terms of focus and discipline. So that was, that was the, the key. It probably was being dedicated to winning. Hmm. That's a lot. That's, that's uh, what am I trying to say? That's, that's a good point. That's some good insight that, there's a difference between, you know, competing and, and also winning, you know, anybody can go out there and compete, but having that will to almost do anything to win or to, you know, basically you, you don't just shut it off. Like, yeah, yeah I'm competing. Yeah. This is, this is good. I'm content competing. Well, 
Yeah. You, know, you gotta want to win. Yeah. You, that's that that's it exactly. sounds kind of silly because every you know you think it sounds like, like I'm just saying something very simple, but it is very very much so like I I was competing right mm-hmm. I was scoring points I was competing, but the difference between that and winning was so I beat the kid that I lost to the the NC State kid two weeks later at Vegas mm-hmm. and when I beat him at Vegas I was losing with ten seconds left and reversed him, and the difference between those two matches was. I did not put my head down when it got hard and I was dedicated to doing what it took to win. Mm-hmm. Right? It could have been ugly. didn't matter what it was. I was going to be dedicated. I was going to do whatever I could mentally, whatever I could physically to win that match. And I feel like that's how you win is through a discipline of not giving up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had such a – a very strong year. I mean, did you ever think that this was the type of year you could have? Or were you taking it day by day and it just so happens that you have this great year? I, partially, yes, that I took it day by day. I mean, I had high expectations for myself. Um, I had a really great preseason, but I started rough, right? I started one and two. Um, and there was definitely times that I was like, dang, am I am I not that good? Um or more, you know, I need to figure this problem out. But I I did expect to have that year, but I also was taking it match by match, you know. By the time I was wrestling a Big Tens, I could look back and be like, man, I've wrestled 30 matches this year. <laughs> and, you know, I've won most of them. Like, I'm doing really good. And so it was, it was a match by match situation as well as, you know, I, I had a belief that I could do it before the year, but... There's a difference in belief in doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. How'd you still have that belief? You know, we just talked about how long it was since you actually really competed. You know, like you had some matches, matches sprinkled in there, but how did you believe or why did you believe that you could have that year? I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. And I think that there's something inside my brain that didn't quit. Um, didn't quit on myself. And I think, you know, there's my, my coaches can say that they, uh, believed in me the whole time. And I think that they did, but they definitely at one point probably second guessed as well as I did. And like I said, I think there was just part of me that didn't want that to be it. Mm -hmm. And now you've, now you've, sort of done it you know you you kind of had that doubt where you're like man you know could I go on a mission and still have success on the mat like I don't know but now you have yeah it changes this year this year's a lot different because last year it was unfamiliar and a question mark Mm -hmm. and this year it's like well I know what I can do Mm -hmm. let's see if I can do more Mm -hmm. and so you know, I'm 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 really really excited for this season. Yeah. Did you have people you looked up to that had been through similar situations? I mean, the the people that come to mind right away are, are like the loft house, loft houses. Um, and, you know, I'm sure like there are more, but those are just the first two that come to mind. You know, were there people that you could look at to point at and go, they've done it, so mm-hmm. I can do it too? Yeah. So, loft houses, Andrew Hogstrasser, Matt Brown. Oh, duh. Um, and there was, there was even situations that were a little bit different that I still could take from Kyler Sanderson. Yeah. Um, there's others. 
Justin Reese, who wrestled here in Nebraska. I didn't know him very well, so it was kind of hard. But those people were in my life. Mm-hmm. And then I had my brother. And then so those those five people, my brother, Kyler, the Lofthouses, Hogstrasser, Matt Brown, those ones were the ones that I like saw that like, hey, you know, it's it's still possible. And then on top of that, I was talking with them a lot. Like, you know, you know, what what did you do? What did you struggle with? Actually, my coach, the Mike Ripplinger, he as well had he went on a mission, came back and, and still competed and did well. So there was there was lots of those and those re- they really helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does help when you have somebody who's done it before that you can lean on and actually see that there's proof in the pudding that it mm-hmm. can be done. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt um, Brown's an NC champ. I mean, he can't. Can't get much better than that. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I remember his match too. Locked yeah. hands. Locked hands. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "I that's not how I wanted to win." <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, but you know, it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. you know, he put himself in position to win anyway. You know, to get to be there. So, um, yeah, I was I forget who I was talking to that said you have you have such good hips. You have probably some of the best hip, hips on the team. Mm-hmm. Where where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. My dad's kind of flexible. My uncles are kind of flexible, but like they don't have the weird, weird flexibility that I have or like the weird feel that I have. I I don't know. I mean, I, I want, I would chalk it up to two things and, uh, probably one, I've spent a lot of time wrestling and playing. And so I've really figured it out. And then two, I mean, I can't deny, you know, the God given talent that I've been given in, in many ways. And so, Probably those two things, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't have powerful hips. I have, I have flexible hips. Ah, there you, okay. Yes, and, and you do. We saw it on display like <laughs> all year. Yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. Is that something that can be taught? Really? No, no, no. no. Definitely not. I'm actually, I, I purposely don't teach a lot of those moves and stuff that I do at camps and stuff because I'm like, I mm. I know that I have knees and, and hips that, you know, are pretty, really, really flexible and I, I didn't depend on those when I was in high school, but it was like got home from my mission. I didn't have the speed. I didn't have that agility and that to be. And so I almost like developed into being flexible with my hips after I got home. And so. Mm-hmm. What about your mat savviness? You know, I feel like you're very mat savvy. That I think that comes from a lot of play wrestling. Just I, I like to wrestle. I like to scramble. And so mm, I don't give up on positions. And that's that's it just works out. Yeah. Now, when you want to take a break from wrestling, like you just, you know, you alluded to earlier that you took like four, four weeks off um, and now you're starting to ramp it up a little bit. Um, what did you, what do you do for those four weeks besides go on vacation to Hawaii or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I have a lot of hobbies. Um, I like to video game. I like to hang out with my wife. Um, what video games? Name them. Um, I'm currently, (laughs) so I I played Elden Ring last year. And so I'm like down that. So I Mm -hmm. I played Bloodborne and then I played Sekiro. And now I'm playing Dark Souls. I'm going to play Dark Souls 2 and (laughs) 3. And then maybe Demon Souls if I ever get a PS5. And so I like those games. I also like Call of Duty. I like Fortnite. You know, I I just really most, I'm the type of person that every single game to me is pretty appealing. Really? I like to be good at, I like to be slightly good at everything. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, I really, really love to be able to speak with people about the, the games that they like to play. Um, I grew up playing like Uncharted and I just I beat mm-hmm. the God of Wars. And so it's just like, I, I love so many different types of games. Mm-hmm. And then 
you know, I Jeep, I dirt bike, we go boating. You know, I, I try to do a lot of different things. I mountain bike, I rock climb. I like, I like to just do kind of just about everything. Dang. That probably helps with just your athleticism too, that you're just putting your body in all sorts yeah. of positions. No, 100%. I have a strong belief that like, you know, being able to learn new movements is really important to even getting better at wrestling or getting better at other sports is being able to, you know, I can move my feet on a surfboard or behind a wake boat. And so my feet are going to move a little bit better, or a little bit different now than when mm -hmm. I'm wrestling. And so I was thinking the same thing with rock climbing. Yeah. You know, like the the strength that you need to have in your fingertips and your yeah. your forearms and um you know, the way you have to contort your body sometimes to even make it so you can keep climbing is just I worked at a rock climbing wall uh over COVID and that was challenging for me <laughs> to say the least. Like you just think like, oh, I can climb, you know, but when you're like bouldering as they call it, that's that's tough. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, so um, last thing here, you know, Kokish left. Do you have a, um, you know, you have a story about Robert Kokish that is a good one that you want to send him out on? So Kokish was an upper weight coach, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I worked with him a lot in, in, in like top bottom stuff, especially wrestling real this year, who is very, very good on top. And so worked very similar kind of grip strength to Bobby. And so Bobby, that's what everyone calls him, Bobby. <laughs> it's Bobby Kokesh. Really? Yeah. So, so, or Bobbert. But so, so, so Kokesh, um, the specific story that I really, really like and really, really remember well is, uh, I, I remember I was wrestling. It was the year that Ridge beat me in the wrestle off. Mm -hmm. And so I was wrestling the backups of Michigan state and Indiana. And I was wrestling the Michigan state backup. And I remember two things that happened in that match. One, early on, I'm up 2-0. Kid chooses neutral in the second. I don't think anything of it. And he high flyers me. <laughs> and I like somehow my flexible neck and I don't know, whatever it was, somehow I got out of it. But I remember I looked over at Kokesh, like <laughs> my eyes this big and his eyes that big. And we both were just like, don't shoot again. <laughs> don't shoot on that guy again. So that was, that was funny. And then that same match, I hit an arm bar. I hate arm bars. I have lurpy arms. So arm <laughs> bars are really hard. I'd like really squeeze really tight. Mm -hmm. And so I remember hitting the arm bar and him being so happy about it. <laughs> and I remember that just was, you know, seeing the happiness of it, you know, kind of like makes me want to coach too, because I can see the happiness that he would get when we would apply his moves, because it was like confirmation to mm -hmm. him, like, Hey, I'm making a difference to this mm -hmm. kid's life and wrestling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I guess I forgot, I should have asked you about earlier, but you, you wrestled 149 and then you, what, what made you go or what went behind the decision to descend to 41? I was small for 49 and then what was best for the team is that I was 41. Um, Ridge is too small for 57, too big for 41. 49 is the best spot. I'm pretty in between. That's why 43 really works really well for 65 kilos. And so 41 would be better for me than 49. And then Peyton at 57. And so it just worked out that that's, that's how it worked. And like, I, I prefer 41 now than to, to 49. Really? I mean, I'm like 152 right now, 151. And so 49 would have been, I would have been very small. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty easy, easy cut. Easy. Ish. Yeah. Cause you're already, you know, you're pretty lean. I mean, yeah. you're, you say you're walking around at 152, but I mean, 
I got a little rice and beans still <laughs> from Brazil, but from Brazil, yeah, got a little bit of that mission fat still, but it's all right. Still, even four years later, five years later, I yeah, because I like sweets now too. So mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't give it the opportunity to completely go. Yeah, well, um, taking place of Kokish is James Green, who you know stud yeah <laughs> so that's gotta be i've already worked out with him since he's been here it's been great mm-hmm. he'll be, be great and so i think that it's so sad to see kokish go right we were gonna get james either way but you know having james come in this year is really exciting too mm-hmm. it's a very bittersweet start of the season right yeah i think i think what people might miss more is is his his um his son <laughs> you know we don't his okay son. can you just Bring back your kid yeah. and watch him run around on the mat afterwards. I'm sure he'll pop in at <laughs> duels, but yeah, and the, the kid's kid will be there. It'll be good. It'll yeah. be good. God, he's going to be a hammer. Yeah. He yeah. probably already is. Yeah. <laughs> that kid's a stud. Yeah. It's going to be good. Um, all right. Before I let you go here, I have a couple questions for you. Um, yeah. Unrelated to the podcast. So I'm doing a story um, for one of my classes. Um, it's a profile, like what, what it's what it is to be like in my person or I'm doing it on Harley Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I'm doing it on him is because um, he wrestles heavyweight and he probably has to eat a lot. I talked to the heavyweight from Oregon state Boone McDermott because mm-hmm. um, he's from Iowa. So I had him on and he eats like eight to 10,000 calories a day to stay up. Yeah. You know? And so I want to talk to him to see if that's sort of his diet what it's like. And so one of my sources, my professor wants me to ask is uh, somebody who has to cut weight and watch him stuff his face. So are you around him a lot? Do you see him eating all the time? And are you like envious or? I haven't seen Harley eat as much, but I remember Christian Lance doing that. And so, and I remember I, I see Schulte do it now because Schulte's trying to get bigger and we have this fight all the time. What's harder? Right. Cutting weight mm-hmm. or eating more. And I'll be honest, I cutting weight is miserable, but it's a miserable that you feel good after, right? Like I cut weight and like, yes, I'm tired, but I feel okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I remember Christian Lance, I remember watching him drink a whole entire like gallon smoothie <laughs> as well as three plates worth of food. And I remember just thinking, dude, you don't feel good. And he's just sitting over there just like... <laughs> and Harley's I've I've seen Harley do it a couple times I remember Harley doing the same thing and I'm just like that that looks miserable it looks so miserable because it's just you know you're it, it would it's one thing to cut weight and wrestle but you feel your your t- stomach doesn't hurt mm-hmm. when you're cutting weight and wrestling I can't imagine what it's got to be like to be that full and wrestling and doing conditioning it's got to be terrible Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Brock Hardy, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Cover art created and designed by Kristen Gill. Please feel free to rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. You can check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and my brand new Facebook page. You more my content. And don't forget to check out my website at letstalkwrestlingpodcast.my.canva.site. And as always, be sure to tune in to hear the next guest of the Let's Talk Wrestling Podcast. Take care. See you next time.